Hi guys, welcome back to Staying Conscious with Megan Alley. We're really excited about this week's guest. His name is Christian. He is from Mission Coffee Company. Such a cool dude. <laughs> so cool. Oh my gosh. We so we love coffee. I think y'all probably know that by now. Yeah, you have to know. <laughs> and we just like were not prepared for all the knowledge no, we yeah. were about to obtain during this episode. Roasting was, oh, and getting the like obtaining brew methods. The, yes. Obtaining um, the beans, roasting the beans. The difference in methods, I know a lot of our um, friends and listeners were interested in talking about that. Don't worry. He tells us the yeah, deets. He covers everything <laughs> yeah. that you need to know about coffee. We just love this episode so much. And then we got to stay and do a tasting with him afterwards. Yeah. If you've never done one before, totally check it out at the Mission Coffee Company Annex over yeah. by um, on 4th Street. And it's every Friday morning. Let us know if you guys are interested. We would love to connect you or... Or even go with you again because yeah, it was I so fun <laughs> learning how they can taste different with different roasts with the same beans. It was just cool. I think you guys are going to love this conversation and enjoy. All right. Well, thank you for joining us this early morning. <laughs> this is lovely. Not a problem. Yeah. We're we so excited. In hand. Yes. <clears throat> delicious. So our first question is, what is something you've been curious about recently? Yeah, so one thing I've been really curious about, and it's a nice format to talk about it, because it's actually another podcast that I've been listening to. Um, So we're talking coffee this morning, and I'm really interested in the science of coffee. And I found that in the coffee world, there's a lot of pseudoscience. We like like to make up answers that don't really make sense. And this, (laughs) this podcast I've been listening to is of a person who is in the wine industry and then transitioned over to coffee to help with fermentation at like producer's origin. Yeah, Uh, Fermentation uh, takes a very important role in coffee in general, um, but it's really interesting to learn a lot about what's going on with fermentation and then try and kind of like debunking and understanding what is actually happening from a Mm. scientific point of view. That's so interesting. Were they like a sommelier? Was that their background? So their palate? Okay. No, they were actually a winemaker. Oh. So they had all this background. They went to school for fermentation and science and are taking that and applying it to coffee now. And it's just, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. What's the name of the podcast? It's called Making Coffee. Making Coffee. And she lives up in Cleveland full time, which is pretty cool. So it's a nice little Ohio shout out. But yeah, it's so interesting. I like for some people, it might be a little bit too sciencey, but it's, it's super intense. We literally were formula- formulating these questions. Yeah. We were both were both nurses, so we're in the medical field, so it's a separate science. But mm-hmm. both of us were like, we really love have loved learning like the science of coffee, and that's why our questions a lot are like, what makes a good cup of coffee? How do yeah. you brew? How does it taste differently with different? Um, like methods of brewing, yeah. so that mm-hmm. like whole science behind it, we're super fascinated by. Yeah. So I think that would be something we would have to check out. Absolutely, oh my gosh. yeah, that's it's, cool. really, it's cool. really good. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Um, okay, so if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Mission and kind of like what your role here is for them, um, and like what that looks like. Yeah. So my name is Christian Ott, and I am the director of roasting operations. Uh, we're a small company, so that's just a title. I do a lot, <laughs> a lot of things around here. It's a nice um, title. We're recording over at our annex location, which is our roastery where we do all our production. So I play a little bit of everything over here. I do some roasting, I do some sourcing, making things go here at the annex, and help support our cafe over on Price. Yeah. Yeah. So Mission's a pretty awesome company. I actually moved to Ohio to come work with Mission, um, just kind of due to reputation. So my significant other is originally from Ohio, went to school in Columbus, and when we were trying to figure out, like, what's our next move, because we were up in Chicago, she wasn't really digging it. I was kind of looking for some other coffee jobs, and I saw this pop open in Columbus, and she started reaching out to her friends. I'm like, Oh, Mission's great. You got to go work at Mission. Oh. Mission, the coffee's so good there. I'm like, sold. So that's really all I need to, to, yeah. to be part of. So that's why I came and worked here. Um, Mission's a cool little company. Uh, so we established ourselves in 2011, mm-hmm. and our Price Avenue Cafe has been open in the short north since 2013. Wow. And then we've been roasting here for about the last three or four years. So we actually started off as a multi-roaster cafe, so we didn't roast our own coffee at the sure. start. 
and then transition to opening the space where we now roast all of our own coffee, source all of our own coffee. Wow. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And the focus of our business has always been on like really, really craft beverages. So craft in the aspect of we're, we're focusing really on the aspects of roasting, making sure everything is roasted to, to perfection but then also allowing our baristas to kind of experiment and thrive in the cafe. So they come up with a lot of the drinks and a lot of the syrups and a lot of the recipes you see in cafe. It's, it's not me. It's the baristas putting the energy into that. And that collaborative wow. spirit is so cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So craft, education is super important. Um, I write quite a bit on our blog just trying to get background information, as much information as I can mm. about the coffees that we do. And I also teach public classes. And I try to make them super reasonable and super accessible so people can go and brew coffee at home. Because I, I hate having this, this idea that coffee is pretentious. Yes. I know there's, there's Amen. This, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So you should be able to take your coffee that you buy, brew it at home, and it should taste just as good as it has in the cafe. And then the final aspect of mission is collaboration. Mm. So who are our partners? Who are we working with? How can we celebrate them? How can we talk about them from our pastry vendors? to places where we source our honey from, to coffee vendors and producers around the world. Mm. That's, That's so cool. cool. That is yeah. cool. I saw some of the classes online. Um, so do you just do different things like how to brew them or like what, can you give us an example of what type of classes yeah. you enjoy? So I have four regular classes. Um, one of them is an introduction to espresso called Extract. Ooh. So basically you can come sign up for a class and I will teach you how to pull shots of espresso and steamed milk on a bar on a professional level bar that we have here at the Annex, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So I get a range of students from people who just want to like touch an espresso bar for the first time to people who have actually spent like $3,000 and have a full oh, setup at home, wow. which is yeah. really crazy. Um, I teach another class called Ritual, which overviews brewing methods. So we go mm -hmm. through and we talk about five different ways to improve your cup, and then we go through and brew kind of whatever brew method people want to experiment with. Mm. So they can kind of get their feel on things and, and really, really dive in deep there. Um, I have a class called Origin, which explores where coffee came from, mm. um, a little bit more background on processing, and we do two cuppings along with that. that so you can so really neat. get into that. Yeah. And then the final class I teach, which I've only taught once so far, but I have another one coming up in the spring, is a roasting class called Just Roast. Okay. So depending on who I have for the class, we'll either work with little sample roasters or um, kind of work on a big roaster and kind of just giving some basic background. The home roasting scene is really, really fun. They're yeah. really, really, they remind me a lot of like home brewers and brewers in general. They yeah. like to share their information. They like to geek out with stuff. And sometimes I feel like coffee, especially here in the Midwest for some reason, we're super competitive, mm, especially yeah. the, like the roasteries. And we'd mm. like to hold on to all these secrets, but Coffee's nothing more than just a recipe of scientific information. <laughs> right. And it's available out there. And what's interesting is that every single producer, every single roaster makes their own little signature on things. Mm. So you're always going to have something different, regardless if you have the same beans, the same roaster. There's always going to be something that's a little bit different about it. Mm -hmm. um, so it really always boggled my mind how competitive we can be. Yeah. And really that collaborative spirit, like the way that the brewing scene is right now, I envy that. Like okay. I wish the roasting scene in the Midwest would be a little bit more collaborative like that. Maybe that can be the yeah. future of it. Hopefully. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. Because breweries probably started the same and then, mm -hmm. but I love your, I love your mindset on that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, me too. And we like have, we love so many different places in Columbus that brew coffee. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so we even felt coming into this, we're like, oh, like, will other places that we've been like, be <laughs> right. like feel weird that we're like interviewing Mission and not them? And it's like, but wait, what, like, yeah. why would we yeah. feel that way? Exactly, like, exactly. It's, it's so more. weird. Yeah. And we don't feel like that. Like, I go to Seventh Son, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if we'll <laughs> <Yeah>. let <laughs> me go have beer there. <laughs> right. And yeah. It's so bizarre. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And they even, like, I feel like a lot of breweries, like, sell other breweries, um, I was going to say coffee, mm -hmm. beer. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. You see that? And you also see a lot of collaboration beers, which yes. they, the yeah. brewers just get together and like, okay, I'm going to bring something over, we'll bring something over, and we'll work on it together. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. That is cool. I have an idea to do something like that with Columbus and coffee. i got to work on it a little bit. Okay. But I think it would be really cool if we could find a community to work with in any country, any coffee-producing mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. and just get a bunch of small lots from all around that community, mm. do a larger, like, support mission about, like, 
informational about like what is this community going through, how can we help support them, and every single roastery around town just gets a lot from that same area. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. That would be I do really too. Cool. Yeah, and how cool would that be at Columbus to be like, oh, when we drink this coffee, we're supporting this community. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Keep I us updated that. on we'll that. Do, we'll do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a great idea. So yeah, we kind of connected over. Our podcast, someone heard us talking about on the Wonder Jam how much we are just, like, fascinated by, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the way coffee tastes differently the way that you brew it and, like, how those brewing methods impact coffee is, like, it's not even just the taste. It's, like, mm. well, I guess flavor, like, all of those things coming out are sure, taste. Sure. But um, can you explain to us the, I guess we'll kind of go through your class. Of yeah. <laughs> can you explain to us how the different um, brewing methods impact coffee? Yeah. So a lot of the different brewing methods are going to impart different flavors in, in theory because of the way that they extract the coffee. Mm. Are we using filtering mediums? Are we not using filtering mediums? Are they leaving undissolved solids in the texture, non-undissolved solids? Are there oils in the texture? A lot of these have ways to play and, mm, and yeah. create a different cup profile. Um, things I typically think about, like so, big picture, um, there are three or four different buckets of brewing methods. Technically six, but a good number of them we won't use on a regular basis. The most basic one is filter brew. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're drinking right now. Okay. I brewed some coffee off of our Fetco machine this morning. It's lovely. Um, it is lovely. <laughs> yes. and, and we have pour overs, we have Chemexes. And the idea with this is that we actually take water and we pour it over the coffee and it drains out. Mm-hmm. More typically than not, there's some kind of paper filter that is like restricting the flow. It's preventing the undissolved solids from going through and allows the oil to get stopped up in that filter. So we think that that creates a very clean, clean meaning. There's not a lot of sediment on your tongue, so you get to see the expression of the mm-hmm. flavor of the coffee. Um, versus something like a, a steeping method, like a French press, mm-hmm. that uses a mesh filter that is metal, so it allows undissolved solids. And that okay. steeping method creates more of like a body texture to mm-hmm. it, so you get both the, the undissolved solids and you get the oils that are kind of sitting there as well. Um, I think French presses are kind of underrated. Um, they're not as sexy as they used to be, but it's mm-hmm. such an easy brew method that people can just do at home. It's, That's what we do at home. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. I've learned recently quite a good few of my good friends don't... I just feel when they um, brew a French press, they just like let it sit. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And for and it's only supposed to be a certain amount of time. Is that correct? Or So you can... Yes and yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have so, so many so, questions. Yeah. So, so this is one of the, the the things I feel like is a little pretentious about French presses. Okay. And I, I think I can help debunk that a little bit. Okay. So when you brew a French press, the hot water is going to be steeping and brewing that coffee. But what's interesting is, in, like, in a French press, it's a contained vessel. Yeah. So mm. eventually that coffee is going to be a higher till dissolved solids. It's going to be sucking up coffee flavors since it's becoming a, a thicker solution. Yeah. It's actually not going to be brewing as much stuff on the bottom. So when I make a French press, I don't decant it. I leave it all in there. Okay. And I've listened to a good number of other coffee professionals that feel the same way about okay. it. The brewing method pretty much stops at that point when okay. you lower the temperature. Okay. So as long as you're not like letting it ride for 10 hours, yeah. if you're enjoying it within a reasonable amount of time, don't worry about decanting it. That's okay. just like another step. It's another dirty dish. There's a, a very well-known uh, food uh, cookbook series that I won't say which one it is, but I get so annoyed because they make <laughs> me dirty my entire kitchen. <laughs> like, take this and move this into this other bowl, move this into this other right. bowl. It shouldn't be that hard to make a cup yeah. of coffee. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that yeah. is, and you talking about it being pretentious, there's so many different methods and they can mm. look intimidating, intimidating. but yeah. I think yeah. making it approachable mm-hmm. to people and saying like, look, it's really not that hard. It's coffee, but there's science behind it yes. as to proof why it tastes different with different methods. I kind of like the idea of it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The number one thing that I teach in my class is if you enjoy the way it tastes, mm-hmm. that's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, but if I can help unlock the science to get you to that point, mm-hmm. that's even better. Yeah. So things we normally talk about when we're talking about trying to figure out how to brew coffee better at home is 
understanding what brew method you really love to use. So are you using a French press, that unfiltered method? Are you using a pour over? Are you using something like an AeroPress? AeroPress, I see that there, Which is yeah. like a, an interesting hybrid method. But then what ratio of coffee to water mm. are you using? That's gonna be very important. I find a lot of people that are used to buying grocery store coffee don't add enough. Some okay. of us that are in specialty coffee probably add too much for the regular palate. So we like a strong cup of coffee, sure. which can be kind of polarizing. Yeah. So usually we say um, we like to use kitchen scales and weigh everything out mm -hmm. just yeah. because weight is weight no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, light roast coffee, dark roast coffee, if you go by volume, it's not going to be the same weight, so it won't be as consistent as if you weigh it out. Mm. But a ratio of 15 parts of water to one part of coffee up to like 17.5 parts of water to one part of coffee all in grams, that's like an ideal brewing ratio for okay. us. So somewhere in that range, you can typically get a good cup of coffee. So if you like it a little stronger, go to 15 to one. If you like mm -hmm. it a little weaker, a little more balanced, 17.5 to one. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Um, also understanding the way that the water touches the coffee matters. Ooh. And a lot of coffee pots that you buy from your supermarket or your convenience store, don't do a really good job of it. Okay. So water needs to be at a specific temperature to brew coffee, ideally in a very quick method. So it needs to be between 105 or 195 and 205 degrees Ooh. Fahrenheit. That's hotter than we thought. <coughs> yeah. I always do 176. That's yep. hotter than we mm -hmm. thought. Okay. Yep. And it's at that range that you can actually extract out the best flavors in the most efficient time. Okay. Obviously water carries a lot of heat and that heat causes those chemical reactions that extract all that flavor. So if you don't have enough energy, you're not going to be able to pull out as much. Oh, that's so interesting. But if you're above 205 degrees Fahrenheit, you're actually going to over-extract the coffee and pull out flavors that don't taste good. Okay. I don't know if any of you have, either of you have ever had, like, um, percolator coffee. Yes. Yeah. Or it tastes like cardboard. It yeah. tastes like that's because it's using boiling water okay. on coffee grounds. It just doesn't taste good. There's, there's limitations to that brew method because of the temperature. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> We, that's probably one of our biggest complaints um, when we have a cup of coffee from somewhere that we're not used to going is um, that it tastes burnt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that, is that more the water temperature or the roasting of the bean? That is more than likely the ratio of coffee to water, oh, believe it or okay. not. So one thing that I am very particular of, and we made sure to do this in our cafe, is I believe that coffee on a pour over, like when you're doing like a craft version at mm -hmm. home and the coffee coming out of the batch brewer, which is a $2,000 device that can specifically place water and ratio and can pulse at a certain method, that should taste as good or better than a pour over at home. Mm. And a lot of people don't put the time and energy into their batch brew. They're just like, this is the easiest way. Yes. We're going to upcharge people on this. We have seen that yeah. and yeah. experienced that so many times. Yep. Yeah. And it's really just understanding, making sure the ratio is right okay. and that the, the method is actually brewing correctly. And so more often than not, they're like, oh, that's just the, e cheesy, the, the e easy, cheap way to brew coffee. We can get everyone through that. Mm. They can upcharge for their pour overs. It's just, it's no good. Yeah. So, like, if I'm going to a random city and I'm going to a cafe to check them out, I'm usually going to get a shot of espresso and I'm going to get a drip coffee. And by Yay. those two things, I can usually check, like, oh, yeah, this is a pretty good spot. Oh, that's they cool. Care. Yeah. yeah. That is cool. That is cool. Yeah. So we've, I've had pour over, now that I've experienced, like, how mm -hmm. yummy they can be, um, every time I travel, I'll get one. And I notice there's, like, a huge price, like, variant between them. Like, in your opinion, like, what is a good... Um, I think people, like you said, overprice them, but like, what mm -hmm. is a good... Like, what's a fair price? Fair price, thank you. That's yeah. like what I was trying to get at. I'd say usually between like 3 and $5. Okay. And a lot of times, what pour-over should be is we have this awesome coffee on drip, and this is the coffee we have on drip. But if you want something else, we can make it to order for you. Oh. And so if we have a bean that's more expensive, that's more rare, we can make that for you on pour-over so we don't have to use all of it and potentially dump some of it out at the end of the day. So when we had a limited batch pink for bone earlier this year, we oh only had Oh my gosh, it, it was so good. Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> I was um, so happy I went in and got it. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go back. Yeah. And the, the reason we did it there is so we can brew everything to order and just okay. make sure everything is dialed in there. Um, but coffees like that can sometimes be polarizing. Um, like coffees from Kenya, 
which mm-hmm. I think are delicious. Mm-hmm. They taste like tangerines, and sometimes they can taste almost like tomato soup. Wow. Not everyone likes that. Yeah. So if you have that in your drip and you're trying, you're isolating half your customer base with your drip coffee, that's, mm. that's not ideal. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That was actually one of our next questions is kind of about sourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, like where do you guys get your coffee from and why? Yeah. So sourcing is something I'm really passionate about. And I've been in coffee for about 11 years. And so this is my second go around being able to source coffee um, I learned a lot from my experiences working in Milwaukee, um, how to source appropriately. We did a lot of direct trade back mm-hmm. there. So meaning I actually went to Origin, traveled, found farmers to work with, and the company was large enough that we could actually move containers directly from exporters to our warehouse facility. Cool. yeah. Mission is a smaller company. <laughs> so we are, we, are, we are really reliant on the relationships that we have. Um, so... I was able to reach out to a good number of the old people that I worked with mm-hmm. and said, hey, can I buy coffee from you again? Mm-hmm. Oh, can we move this through this person? And so we're really dependent on a lot of importers now to help us like reestablish those relationships. And I just use them to move coffee over. But it's been really cool to reconnect. So we are sourcing coffee directly from some folks in Guatemala. We have mm-hmm. three different farms there that we're working with and a, a milling operation that I've worked with for many years. Uh, we brought in a coffee from Costa Rica that was actually the first coffee I, I ever sourced directly. And so I just had this really amazing emotional attachment to it. Yeah. And every time I have Cerro Verde, it's like, oh, man, this is Cerro Verde. This yeah. is, I can imagine being at their farm and their family making chicharrones for me while I'm visiting oh there. Gosh. They're just taking care of me, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, but what I'm really looking for when I'm sourcing coffee is do I have transparency back to the producer? Mm-hmm. Do I understand their operations? And am I paying a fair price for that coffee? And a fair price isn't necessarily related to something like fair trade or just related to organic. It's how much does it make, how much does it cost them to make that cup of coffee or that pound of coffee? And then how much did they need in order to reinvest into their farm? Mm-hmm. And every different area is different every area of the world is different so just to say oh i pay two dollars a pound for coffee is not it's not fair yeah Yeah. and i don't know if you know the coffee is created on on a commodity market Mm. and in the past year we've seen prices below a dollar per green pound which is well below cost of production in most of the world Mm. so so people that are selling their coffee on that market often are not getting fair prices for their coffee. Mm -hmm. And that's the majority of coffee sold in the world is commodity. Mm -hmm. Like only 10 to 15% is specialty, which is what we, what we source. Mm -hmm. Um, So really understanding the producers and the more transparency I can have on their operation. How are they working? How are they supporting their workers? What are they experimenting with? That always gets me really excited. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been working with a producer in Colombia. Her name is Ana Mustafa. She has been experimenting with her coffees and trying to improve the quality of the coffee through fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this last batch that we had, we just roasted the end of it, which is, I'm really sad to see it go, but we're getting samples for, from her next batch, oh, which I'm really excited about, um, is a double fermentation. Mm-hmm. So what that means is it's rested in cherry as a natural process for two days, then pulped and fermented like a washed processed coffee. So you get some like these funky, fruity flavors of the natural, and then you get the clean texture of a wash process coffee. Mm -hmm. And to see someone experiment and say, okay, this is what I had previously, but if I tweak my process, it might taste better. But now I need to find an audience that really likes that profile and is willing to pay for it, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. Yeah. Um, So the the two times that I would work with her, they had a set price because it was like the first time that they were working with someone and like, oh, it's going to be something like three twenty-five a pound. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. And then the next year, they did a lot more experimentation, a lot more work. And they're like, oh, sorry, we put more work into it. We'll charge you a little bit more for it. I'm like, great, let's yeah. do it. It tastes better. Let's do it. Yeah, this is amazing. But it's really about creating that symbiotic relationship of like, can we tell your story? And are we supporting you year after year? And where are we buying coffee enough where it actually makes a difference for you? I love That's that. I love really that important so to much. me. That is so cool. We've both been more mindful recently about um, where we get everything, clothing and food. I mean, it can 
go into every facet. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's um, admirable yeah. to yeah. say, like, where am I getting my coffee? How do they treat their employees, like, ethically and all of that? Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And coffee is such a foreign thing to us because mm-hmm. it's something that's grown in some countries far, far away that most of us have never been to. Mm-hmm. But if you break it down for what it is, it's no different than buying tomatoes from a farmer right. here in yeah. Ohio. Right. They're just farmers making products yeah. and they're the same type of people. They really are. Mm-hmm. Um, so just making sure you understand that supply chain and, and understand you know, we're going a lot further away but we're trying to be as respectful and resourceful as like going to the farmer's market, yeah. like understanding where your Absolutely. product is coming from. Yeah. Where is it primarily <clears throat> grown? Like where does it so flourish? So coffee grows in Central America, in South America, in Africa, and then in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. But it primarily grows between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. Mm-hmm. And Arabica coffee grows, it's very, very picky. So you're not going to see it grown here in the United States very soon hopefully. Um, <laughs> it needs to be between 800 and 2,000 meters above sea level. Mm. It can't be too hot, too cold, too dry, too wet. Otherwise, it will die. Mm. Um, I've tried to grow a coffee plant in my house <laughs> three or four times now, and I've killed it every single oh, time because it's just so finicky. Wow. And then like, these little coffee plants, it takes three years to fully mature before you actually get fruit off of it. Oh, wow. So. Can you imagine taking oh care gosh. of plants for three years, an entire farm, before you can wow. actually turn something over? It's just amazing the amount of work that happens there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I That's can really see cool. the parallel with wine there. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And, like, chocolate. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. three of my, like, favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and That's cool. terroir is a, is a major impact on coffee flavors, especially at origin. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to believe that the higher the altitude, the better the coffee, but I've... Every time I make a theory, I go and I prove myself wrong, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah, that's um, cool. And I've learned that the, the, the microclimate in a specific region really has impact to it. So the same way that wine growers are looking for, like, sometimes hotter areas are better for certain varieties. Mm. Other times cooler areas are better from other varieties. Is the sun hitting the plant in the morning or the afternoon? Mm-hmm. What is the wind like? All of that is taken into account Absolutely. with coffee as well, Yeah, um, which is really, really interesting. That is cool. Yeah. Man, you know so much. I know, much. I like, <laughs> I feel like I have so many questions. And like, I know nothing. I know, same, <laughs> same. I think one thing that we're interested in is like, what is your mm. preferred like brewing method, like just on a personal level? Mm-hmm. Um, or like, what is your favorite cup of coffee? Brew methods. Um, so I'm partial to the Chemex. Mm-hmm. Especially if I'm making coffee for multiple people, because yeah. I think coffee is really cool as a social aspect. Yeah. I'm like, hey, we're meeting together, and let me make you an awesome cup of coffee. Admittedly, at home, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> Neither is my significant other. <laughs> and we did this interview I know. so early. So um, I have purchased a really nice um, drip brewer for my house. Okay. Yeah. Um, something, And we got a really good grinder at home, too. So it's just... It, it's functional coffee the first thing in the morning. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, espresso is also something I really, really mm. enjoy. Um, I obviously don't have an espresso. I shouldn't say obviously, but I don't have an espresso machine at home. But I'm lucky to be, have work right. at a coffee yeah. company where <laughs> I can Resources. experiment with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and it's interesting to see how coffee can change from a drip to espresso with that same bean. You're taking something that's usually at like a 1.15 percentage solution and turning it all the way up to like a 5% and 8% mm. solution mm-hmm. and the flavor notes completely change from coffee to espresso. Yeah. Um, so usually if you see me out in cafe, honestly, I'll be drinking Cortado. That's just like okay. my favorite, my favorite thing to just enjoy um, or a pour over yeah. or drip. Um, really, really easy. Yeah. There's one other question in there. Um, I actually have one feeding off what you just said. Going back to like a grinder. So Mm -hmm. I've heard different things about that. What can you maybe give us a little bit of information on your take for like what a grinder? Yeah, absolutely. So what you want to avoid (laughs) are really inexpensive grinders. Okay. Um, So the number one grinder I see in households are these little blade grinders. Yes. Yes. That You'll are find great it in my home. Yes. Same because yeah. That, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, so they work great for spices. Mm. Um, they are not super consistent. Okay. What we're looking for with coffee 
is science, is consistency. Mm. So consistent particle sizes in, in that spice grinder, in that blade grinder, you can sometimes get consistent if you batch it out, but the smaller the particle sizes are, the more variation you're going to have. Mm -hmm. So if you have a French press and that's all you're using it for, I'm usually okay with using a blade okay. grinder, but if you're getting into something like pour overs and you really want to get to dial in and fine tune your coffee, a high quality burr grinder is essential. Okay. And a burr grinder is two ceramic burrs mm -hmm. that are set at a set distance apart. And a good burr grinder will have a lot of variety. So you can go from really, really coarse to really, really fine. And you'll mm -hmm. see a lot of consistency in the particle size. Okay. And that'll allow you to go all the way from super, super fine grind devices like an AeroPress something really, really coarse. It gives you a lot of flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, the unfortunate thing is that most good burr grinders will cost you at least $100, if not more. Wow. The good thing about it is that they last a good long time. Mm -hmm. So if you're really into coffee, that's like one of the best <clears throat> investments you can get. Okay. Um, another option, and this is going to be a little contentious, but I'm okay saying it, <laughs> is so there's there's this big onus on whether you should grind your coffee in cafe if you don't have a grinder. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I'm glad and you're so, bringing this up. And so there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. Like the, I'll say kind of the pretentious vibe is like, oh, you're going you're gonna to break it apart and it's going to go stale really quickly. And that's true because you're increasing the surface area and oxygen is the yeah. number one um, thing that degrades coffee. Mm -hmm. It's oxygen getting in, and if you create more surface area, it's going to go stale quicker. Mm -hmm. That said, if you don't have the proper grinder at home, you don't have the ability to get the particles to the right size. Yeah. So as long as you're drinking within a reasonable amount of time, I think it's okay to get your coffee ground in cafe Okay. if you don't want to buy a grinder. Okay. Like that's that's fine. Just don't hang on to it for four years. It's What's not the taste best the like storing method if Ooh, you good question. Yeah. get it ground in the store? So the best storing method is if it is in a sealable airtight bag, and this is the same for holding coffee too. Yeah. Okay. A sealable airtight bag with a one-way valve, so you can remove mm -hmm. all the oxygen from it. That's ideal. Um, if it don't have that, having an airtight container that is both airtight and light proof, so something that's not like glass. Um, I, I have like a mason jar, in the, or a masonry jar at home, which yeah. has a one-way seal on it, which is pretty cool. And then storing it at room temperature. Okay, okay. So not in the refrigerator, not in the freezer. Yeah. Don't listen to the blue and the red containers that tell you to store <laughs> it in the freezer. <laughs> they really do. Um, scientifically, if you could remove everything from that bag and if it was in a perfect vacuum, Yes, it would degrade at a slower pace if you put it in the freezer, but we're not that careful at home. Yeah. You, you throw your bag, you kind of fold it over, you throw it in the <laughs> freezer, there's oxygen in there, there's water vapor in there, you put that into the freezer, it's going to condense, it's going to start this tailing process a lot quicker. Mm. Um, also, storing in the refrigerator, if you have any kind of weird food, and I'm terrible cleaning out my refrigerator <laughs> at home, <laughs> so if you have cut onions in your refrigerator and you put your coffee yeah. next to it, you know what your coffee's going to taste like the next day? Yeah. It's going to taste like cut onions. That's it's crazy. really gross. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. What are some like key characteristics? Um, obviously, like the flavor profile can be vastly different, but... Um, if you say, okay, this is a good cup of coffee, like what key characteristics do you define? What I'm looking for when I have a good cup of coffee is something that's dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like what is going on? Am I feeling different layers of things going on? So is the body... I, I've gone away from saying like, I think when you first get into specialty coffee, acidity is one thing that really excites you and then can be super overwhelming after mm -hmm. a while. So, like, you get, like, this punch of a say, like, oh, man, that's really good. And mm -hmm. then if you drink it too much, like, you just start to hurt after a while. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's trying to find the balance of all those things. So is there a good texture? Of them? Like, does it feel good on my palate? Is it heavy body or light body? You can have really good heavy body coffees. You can have really good light body coffees. And then does it have layers to it? Do, do I get aromatics that are fruit-like? Do I get aromatics that are woody, which are something that I don't prefer? Mm -hmm. I prefer something that's fruity, something that's sweet, something that's complex, that's something that will sit on my palate for a little bit of time. And the more layers that I can kind of understand with that cup of coffee, and by the way, don't judge your cup of coffee by that first sip. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. When you are really, really hot, your tongue doesn't notice as much. 140, 120, there are sensors on your tongue will actually experience more flavors of the coffee. When it's, once it cools down, that's the actual flavor of the coffee. Mm. <clears throat> Which we've so, heard that before. Yeah. And this one that we're drinking this morning tasted yeah. different even on the like fifth sip. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's Is cool. there a like scientific thing that happens when you <laughs> microwave your coffee? Does it <laughs> I love this question. Yeah. This is so approachable. Like, I I really love warm coffee mm -hmm. and so like I once it gets to like lukewarm I'm like oh I want this warm again but I don't want to add more hot water because then that changes the taste they'll dilute it yeah yeah um but microwaving it I always feel like I'm just like ugh this doesn't taste the same as when it yeah, first came good out question. so I can't say conclusively what the science <laughs> is but I do I do experience I do experience that same thing like it just doesn't taste the same so there must be something with the microwaves yeah that break apart yeah. something in the coffee that doesn't allow it to, to taste the same. Yeah. Um, there's a really cool coffee mug on the market. It's called, what is it, the Jewel or something like that? Ooh. There's a coffee mug that actually keeps your coffee at a set temperature. Yes. You put it in, it's at a what? set temp, and it keeps it there. That's cool. It's got like a little Probably thermal insulator on it. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, because especially in the winter here in the Midwest, right, it's mm -hmm. chilly, and a nice like hot cup of coffee is nice. Absolutely. Okay, we'll have to look into that. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so how do you guys incorporate collaboration and education like here in Columbus? Like how are you looking to educate people on either like sourcing or um, even like how do you educate your baristas actually? We were yeah, curious that about that too. We were really curious about. So in terms of like educating the community, um, I like to try to get as much information out there as possible. So social media has been a good channel for us. Mm -hmm. um, we did a good series of videos a while back, just kind of really showcasing all the places that we're sourcing from. And information is no good if it's like stuck up in my head. So trying to get the baristas as much information as I can. So when I write something, making sure they get that information mm -hmm. first and I give them the same experience of, of things. Um, and I'm constantly working on new and interesting ways on how I can get information outward like, I, I've had an idea myself to do a podcast with producers and try to understand a little bit more about why they do coffee mm. and trying to get that information out to people that don't have access to it, I think mm. would be really cool. Um, and then in terms of collaboration, it's just to get out and brew coffee with geeky people that, <laughs> that want to do it. Um, so we had this really cool event um, that we did about a month ago that was... Um, Celebrating Mission was one of the top 100 um, coffee places in Ohio on the Yelp oh, list. Oh, wow, and that's so awesome. We, and so we had a um, celebration there with Yelp Elite, and we did one coffee brewed three different ways. Mm -hmm. So we brewed it on espresso, we brewed it on pour-over, and we brewed it on cold brew. And we had about 40 or 50 people come for this oh, event. Oh, my that's gosh, really that's cool. And then what's cool is to be able to have, like, they were all in stations, so they had like a cap. We have a little captive audience, but we could kind of talk them through, like when we're doing pour over, this is what you're going to be experiencing with this coffee, and when we're doing cold brew, you're going to experience this other thing mm. with all the same base. And everyone was just really, really excited and really interested to see, like, they come to the, like this is a different coffee, right? And like, no, no, it's exactly the same beans, just brewed yeah. slightly. Cool. We would totally geek yeah. out. Yeah, seriously. Because yeah. my husband prefers a cold brew. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like it hot. So yeah. that would be cool to learn how to do it differently. Yeah. That's interesting. But one thing I do have a question about, I don't know if yeah. you're into like lattes. You said your oh, drink yeah. is like a cortado. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we had our first one the other day. We did. Um, we weren't huge fans. Yeah. But we had it with oat milk. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious for you um, if you've seen a transition since you've been in coffee for 10 years, like brewing these specialty drinks with, regular milk and then like having them brewed with almond oats alternative soy. milks yeah yes. i feel like you have an opinion on this yeah yeah <laughs> so uh full disclosure i'm originally from wisconsin okay. so dairy and cheese yeah. flow through my veins <laughs> um alternative milk has come a long way in the past 10 years i'll yeah. say there's been a lot more i feel like it started out as just like a trend like i don't want milk oh we have this almond milk we have this um, soy milk was the first one that really yes. hit the market. Yes, yes, yes. And now we have things from oat milk 
to macadamia milk, yes. to hemp milk, to coconut milk, um, there are some good advances in terms of the, the stuff that they're putting together. Mm. Um, the difficulty is trying to figure out the right combination of things that allow you to foam the milk appropriately. Yes, yeah. that's so, you, so you have the good texture yeah. to it, but then also giving you the right flavor components. So food science, like one of the cool things about whole milk is that there's fat in it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of flavors in coffee is fat soluble. So when you get the hybrid of milk plus coffee, you have these really robust flavors. And sometimes I feel like when you have some of these alternative milks that don't have the same kind of content, they just don't taste quite the same. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. also some of the milks, when you heat them up, I think they taste kind of strange. Burnt yeah. they, they taste burnt yeah. or they taste cardboardy, which doesn't taste good. Right. So if you have it in an ice latte, sometimes it's delicious and I heat it up yes. and I'm like, this is kind of funky. Yeah. Or some of them in an iced way will, like, I've noticed certain almond milks that you have the flakes yep. coming up if you yep. have it cold. Mm -hmm. I did an experiment one time where we were experimenting with finding the right almond milk for our company. Mm. And so I went and bought 10 different <laughs> almond milks. Oh, they're different. They froth they're, differently. They froth yeah. differently. Yeah. And we did it blind. And we wanted to see for taste and for texture. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one that we used that actually made like this almond jello goo stuff that floated to the surface oh, of the latte. It was it was gelatinous. It was gross. Oh. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah. um, but in the end, we found like two that actually did a good job of both steaming and held their texture and, okay. and flavor wise was really good. Yeah. They, and they're making the barista milks now too. Mm -hmm. Are those better quality or the the goal of those barista milks is to have a texture when you're steaming it, that okay. has a better better texture to it. They're all not the same, yeah. and each one takes its own little micro nuance, so you have to work with it as a barista to actually get like the right stretching method and how to incorporate I it. I've heard of this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very yeah. difficult. What is it? Like so, when you're stretching the milk. Oh. oh so oh, oh, when you're adding foam and making okay. all those noises. Yeah. Every single milk is different, so you have to do it at a different pace, at a different time, a different volume. Okay. It's super finicky. Yeah, mm. that's cool. When you guys are like hiring baristas, like what, obviously like personable and friendly, but like what qualities are you guys looking for in your staff and like what experience does Mission as a company like want people to experience? We read a little bit of the mm -hmm. website and stuff like that, but. So personally for me and it's really important to hire good people. Mm. Um, I honestly believe that we can teach anyone how to do coffee. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want pretentious people in the cafe. Um, and that's just not who we are. We don't want to have that. So like, I want when, you walk, when you're coming into the cafe, you feel welcome. Mm -hmm. You can walk through things. Because learning coffee is not that hard. So long as you have like this, this experimental mindset and are mm -hmm. open to learning new things and are open to kind of sandboxing things, you can figure a lot out. It's not really that hard. Yeah. So finding people that are interested in science, that are interested in coffee, are interested in people, because yeah. people are the number one thing that baristas need to work with yes. on a daily basis. <laughs> so what I love to see in our cafe is you come in and you just feel welcome, you feel comfortable, mm -hmm. and then you have an amazing cup of coffee along with it. Mm -hmm. um, and that brings you back to the cafe more often than not. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. What are you, you mentioned a little bit of like what you're excited about, but what, um, if there's coffees or just like the vision um, of mission, like what are you excited about for the future of this company? So what has been really interesting working with Mission is that we're a small company, and I worked with a very large company that was very focused on profits. Mm -hmm. It was very focused on adding value to the company, which to me as, a, as someone who's like, that's just not how I work. Mm. Um, I like to see the collaborative spirit here at Mission, and I like to see that there's opportunity to grow our baristas and our team and trying to find new and interesting opportunities and to grow more people that are passionate about coffee. Um, we just had an opportunity to move one of our baristas who was part-time in the cafe. Um, Katie approached me and said, hey, I've always wanted to roast. Mm -hmm. And if I had the opportunity to roast, I think I would move to Mission full-time. So now Katie is roasting with us. Uh, and to be able to like harness that energy and to give her new opportunities and to teach her new things, 
if we could do that within our entire team and start to grow and, and develop them as professionals, mm-hmm. that would make me super excited. And then to, to work to create more opportunities to do that, that gets me super excited. Mm-hmm. The more that I can help empower people and to teach people how to do things, it makes me less important, which is because then I have more talented people to work with and to collaborate yeah, with. That's absolutely. always super interesting. Um, to see where mission's going to go in the next two or three years is really exciting. Um, I think this is public knowledge. We're going <laughs> to open, we're, we're opening another cafe inside of an office up in Westerville. Oh, wow. In DHL cool. headquarters in, a, in about a month or so. Okay. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see a new staff go into there. Yeah. And then we're constantly looking at new opportunities and how we can grow and expand and collaborate. So. Cool. Yeah. So cool. Awesome. Okay, our quick fire question. So this is just no pressure. The first thing that mm-hmm. comes to mind: What is a book that you love? Either a favorite book or one you've been reading recently. Um, my favorite book of all time is *The Stranger* by Albert Camus. Okay. <laughs> um, I studied philosophy in college and okay. in high school, um, and it's kind of it can be a very depressing book, but I I learned a lot about experience as like life is made up of all these little experiences and you should take as much as you can from that. So that's really, that's really cool. what I was yeah. doing. Yeah. Cool. What is the best like food, drink, or meal that you've eaten recently? Last night. I had, <laughs> last night. Um, I am a huge fanatic of pizza. It might just oh, be my time so and generation. Um, gourmet down the street is my favorite pizza okay. place in town. That we haven't so been good. there yet. My oh, husband and so I good. like keep passing it thinking, oh, we need to go there. You really, okay, what, yeah. what pizza did you get? So we did a, we did a build your own last night. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of Wisconsin regular is to do sausage, mushroom, and onion. We did pepper do uh, peppers instead of that. But it's Neapolitan style pizza. Mm. It's so good. And my favorite thing to do especially when the owner's there, because he's just, like, so full of life. Mm. Um, they have this thing called Chef's Creation. So you just say, Chef, make me a pizza. Yeah. yeah. I don't want this on it, but make whatever you want, and then they just come up with whatever it is. Oh, that's yeah. cool. It's so cool. It's so fun, yeah, too. Yeah. We'll have to try that place. What is a song you have not been able to get out of your head? I have lots of songs that go into my head from time to time, and it's really annoying. I'm trying to think of the last one that it was. Um... Goodbye, Elbrick Road by Elton oh, John's been in my head a lot, which yeah. is weird. Well, the movie came out, so maybe you're, yeah. yeah. And I'm associating with a cat. Okay. Yeah. So I remember when I was little, I had a cat that passed away, and I listened to that song, oh. and we just had to say goodbye to a cat recently. And oh, so I'm that's sorry. kind of the, that's what's going through my head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cute. Um, favorite time of day? Night. Not I morning. Have, <laughs> no, no. And, which is a shame because I work in coffee. Um, no, I'm I'm a total night person, so like eight to midnight, that's my perfect time mm. to just like get stuff done. Man, yeah, I don't. <clears throat> I know yeah. we're early that. people. Yeah. Yeah. We have to like be at work at six a.m. Mm-hmm. every day, so yeah. yeah, we're just like naturally up at four and five a.m. I'm, I'm finally getting to the part of my life where like okay, I, I need to go to bed at nine thirty, otherwise <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to function. Yeah, but I miss having that night night experiences. Yeah, can you drink coffee like into the afternoon and still fall asleep? Nope. Not anymore. I was about yeah. to ask you. Okay, we two p.m. is no. my cutoff. If it is yeah. past two p.m., I can't do it. Like three or four is the last cup of coffee I can have. Okay. Uh, I used to be able to drink coffee all the way through, mm. and I'd be just fine. And you know, as you get older, your body chemistry yes. changes yeah. a little bit, and yeah, it's not the same Doesn't anymore. Doesn't work. No. Yeah. And this one we've kind of talked about, but how do you drink your coffee or tea? Um, do you I, drink tea? I don't drink mm. much tea. Okay. And it's not due to distaste for it I just have never really learned how to appreciate tea yeah um and I have a lot of a good number of friends in the industry who work in tea that are really into it um coffee wise portado and cafe Mm. pour overs and I just love that yeah I am totally interested in tea in a well one tea I love matcha green Mm -hmm. tea and like learning I would love to learn similar things about what we've talked about today of how to brew at the perfect temperature and Mm -hmm. because it's much different than coffee so yeah it's very different than coffee yeah yeah what's your favorite kind of cheese oh this is like we really love this question nice i know oh that's hard i know that's so hard it is hard it's yeah Yeah. we've talked about this or one that you've been loving recently yeah Yeah. to take the pressure off (laughs) so my favorite type of cheese Again, I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Wisconsin cheese curds. Oh my god, I had some Vega cheese curds that are fresh and they squeak when you chew them. Yeah, they're so good. It's due to the protein structure and like rubbing against your teeth. um, A friend of mine in nursing school was Mm -hmm. from there, and so every year she would go home and she would bring us cheese curds and I was like what are these things these look so weird and then you bite in and you're like oh my gosh this is a game changer the squeaky thing is like awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's good yeah and it's just like Wisconsin cheese whatever but they're so good so good okay cool yeah beach or mountain yes is that possible (laughs) yes we've had Uh, you know say that um no, I've been, I think beach, um, okay. I've just been craving being in a sunny place for a while oh, and yeah. I miss, I, I love going snorkeling. I love being in the, the water. So that's something that Liz and I are talking about doing soon. Yes. But mountain equates to coffee and coffee <laughs> travel. So that, I also like that a lot too. So that's kind of where I'm like, so can both. we place where I can go to both? Yes. Fair. What is your favorite place that you've ever traveled? <sighs> I have several. Um, Colombia, Guatemala, and Costa Rica mm. are like my three favorite places to go. Uh, Costa Rica because of the first place in Central America that I ever traveled to, and I've been there more than I've been anywhere else, wow. um, which is really, really cool. Um, Guatemala to see the volcanoes in Antigua mm. and being around that kind of area. And then Colombia just for its diversity. It's such a crazy place, and you have to fly everywhere, but every single microregion is so different. Um, it's just such a cool place. Yeah, um, that is cool. Were all of those coffee trips? They then? were all coffee. Actually, I went one vacation in Costa Rica. Okay. And then the rest were coffee trips. Okay, cool. Yeah. What like got you started into coffee in the first place? Um, well, I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started in coffee as a barista at a wholesale account when I was at Marquette University in Milwaukee. Okay. And the wholesale was attached to a roastery that I eventually went to go work for. Um, and I got bored with my graduate degree in philosophy mm. and decided to go work full-time as a barista. Um, I studied music, I studied religion, and I studied philosophy. Oh, cool. And so I've always had, like, this inclination to cook. Um, I've always, like, I grew up on PBS and watching kitchen yes. shows. Yes. Yeah. So I always had that inclination to kind of, like, experiment with things. And coffee was just something I was really interested in. Yeah. And I was able to just kind of, focus in on it for a while and kind of grew my way through the industry working as a manager for a little bit a barista trainer and a director of coffee cool yeah that's cool well thank you so much this was awesome kind of Um, all the questions that we had man i could literally ask you (laughs) (laughs) awesome thank Thank you for having me this is fantastic Thank you guys so much for listening to the end. Did that make you want a cup of coffee or what? Yeah, we're like <laughs> jacked up on coffee I know. over here, you know. We could just keep going on forever. We could, but you know the drill. Subscribe, let us know what you think. Yeah, Rate the podcast. Everything will be in the show notes below where you can find Christian, where you can find Mission, Mission Coffee Company. If you've never been, I don't know what you're doing. Seriously. Go there. Yeah. Um, share this episode with a friend. Tag us on Instagram. All the good things. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.